Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Our mission is to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. We desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Are you feeling burned out? Not sure if you can go on much longer like this, but not sure how to change the status quo? Yeah, David and I have been there ourselves even just this week. So let's jump right in today, learning that God offers true rest when we let him not only be our savior, but also our master and our teacher. Last time in part three of this series, we recalibrated our thinking about the seven different kinds of rest that we're told we all need. We looked at each one in light of God's word, really understanding if the statements that are being made about these different kinds of rest are valid and how they actually fit into God's invitation to true rest. That is critical. If you missed last week's episode, please go back and listen. Today, we'll finish this series of how to practically understand what living yoke to Christ looks like in everyday life, including how it will impact your marriage more than you will ever know. That is until you start living out that God-honoring rest we're talking about. If you're ready to be done with burnout, then stick around for the next half hour here on Vows to Keep Radio, the show where you get sound biblical counsel you can apply immediately to your marriage. We're your hosts, David and Tracy Sellers of Vows to Keep. We're biblical marriage counselors, authors, teachers, podcast hosts, and conference speakers. If you want to get back to being on fire for your spouse and for God, you're definitely in the right place. We've been encouraging you to memorize Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. We're specifically studying the three things that Jesus wants to be in our lives to free us from burnout. He says, give me your sin and take my righteousness. Let me be your savior. He says, learn from me. Let me be your teacher. Then he says, let me lead you. Let me be your master. And you can hear all these as I read that key passage we've been studying for the last three weeks. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. For us as Christians, it seems the easiest part has already been done. Ask Jesus to be our Savior? Check. But what about... Master and teacher, that's a little bit harder. The battle to make things go the way we want, to let sin rule us, to let selfishness dictate our conversations and everything that goes on in our marriages, it all adds up to being burned out because something other than Christ is ruling us. But even though we feel so tired, so burned out, we keep turning to these things that we hope are going to bring us rest, even though they never have. Jesus wants to show us we've been living upside down opposite of the way he designed us to live. If we want this rest that he offers, we have to say yes to him in every way. I've got to be willing to bring all my heart to him, not withholding anything, because if I keep back even one small, seemingly insignificant little master that I'm serving, I don't live in freedom. If that's us, we're still in bondage and that is going to wear us down with its heavy weight in no time. When I bring him everything, that's when I'm going to see a massive change in my life and my marriage. Jesus wants to flip it all right side up for us by helping us to make what I call the great exchange. We have an allegiance, if you will, to our kingdom. 
We have an agenda and we work hard to make it happen. We even get mad at God when it doesn't happen. Jesus gives us a new goal, one that will satisfy when nothing else does, and that is to build his kingdom, trading what controls us for what compels us. We're asked to make this great trade, his kingdom for mine, his yoke for all the chains that I've been bound up in. When we make this great exchange, we come under Christ's yoke of rest. Now, hearing this, you'd think, David, you've been a Christian for a long time. I would have thought you'd have made this trade quite a while ago, actually. Well, in reality, I have. But it's something that I have to do over and over again, just like you. Every day, you've got to make a heartfelt decision to love your spouse with passion. God wants an active relationship with us. That's bigger. That's different than just a one-time decision. It starts there, but it has to go on. Sometimes I think, oh gosh, if I could just have Jesus with me right here in the flesh, then surely my flesh would take a backseat. I could throw off all of these old crappy yokes, all the stupid masters of self. I would finally be clear of those things. But then I look at Mark chapter 10, and I see two disciples, James and John. Jesus was right there with them. He was giving them a perfect example, teaching them every single day, and yet they fought the same battle that you and I do. If you read this passage, it's going to be really obvious that they sought their own kingdoms, their own agendas. They said, Jesus, do us a favor. When you sit on your glorious throne, hey, can we sit next to you? Can I be on the right and and he on the left? And Jesus puts them in their place, but he also opens their eyes to see they've been living upside down. He says this in verse 46, whoever wants to be great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. For even the son of man, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. James and John are like us. They wanted it all. They very much have a me first mentality. And that is in direct opposition to Jesus' call and command to us to serve and love like he does. Jesus says, here's my kingdom right side up. Become a slave, the lowest of the low, to be honored by Me, the king above all kings, serve to lead, die to live, work to rest. Everything the opposite of what our hearts are telling us would satisfy. James and John were buying into the great illusion that if we look out for number one, if we do what seems best to us, we're going to be satisfied. We'll have rest and security and peace and honor. It amazes me that they followed Christ around. They were close to him for three years, but they had yet to let him become their teacher in every single way. They were hearers of the word that day and not doers. And if we find ourselves in the same position, we should double check our blind spots and ask our spouse to help us see what we can't, to find the areas in our lives that we have become once again slaves to. Here Jesus is teaching us a new way of living. Think about what he said in the great commandment from Matthew 22. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, Jesus says, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are such pivotal verses because they take out all the guesswork about Jesus' intention for my life to make a great exchange. It's clear that is right there in red letters on the pages of my Bible. We as humans were created to worship. 
and worship of ourselves is seemingly so natural. And that's why the great commandment tells me who I should be worshiping and how my life of worship will take shape. Knowing what I was created for is pivotal. It's loving God and loving others. Giving my life to a two-sided calling actually creates that life of worship. It brings glory to God. But the crazy thing is that this is a life of true heart-level rest. So could this be your new normal, letting Christ be my master and my teacher in all areas of my life? Trading my old yoke of indulging in the things that I want, all those things that have no fulfillment, no rest, no peace, only slavery for stupid things. Could I trade this for Jesus' new yoke? Serving people in my life humbly in love? God's word shows that this is how we have complete freedom and peace. The best kind of rest. And I'm here to tell you, I've seen it played out in my own life. It is true. That sounds like the kind of exchange I want. That new life of freedom, God's way of doing things. And Lord, would you help us to get there? Would you help us to serve next to you? Help me to love my spouse like you've loved me. That is the kind of prayer we can pray every day. Jesus promises that these things are not only possible, he's going to give us the ability to carry them out because of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly why Jesus came, to break my allegiance to my kingdom, to save me for service in his. You might be saying, okay, Tracy, but what about real life? My schedule is not just going to change because I'm making these hard decisions. I still think it's going to feel out of balance. My experience tells me that I disagree. I actually believe our schedule will change. Our decisions will then be based on God-motivated love for others, not self-love. Now, sure, you're still going to have a lot of the same commitments, but your motivation and your joy will empower what was once heavy and hard to be easier and full of life. As we come under Christ's yoke, we are, however, going to need a different definition of balance. If we strive to live and know the gospel and we strive to know and live out the greatest commandment, to love God with everything we have and to love others just like that, yeah, you're going to find life is busy. But the important thing is you'll find rest in your heart at the exact same time. That's our new definition of balance. That's the rest that I've been searching for. A rest in my heart. Now, in the back of my mind, I need to remember that a yoke was not created for rest alone, but actually for work. You see, a well-matched yoke of oxen can plow acres in a day, and they used to do it all across America. Now, imagine what a kingdom work would look like if we could partner with God to do it. I somehow forget that God actually made us for work, and work's not the enemy. Work in and of itself is not why we're burned out. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And he says this before Adam ever sinned. Remember that. Work is actually part of the beautiful way that he designed us as people. Rest is not at odds with working hard. Instead, rest and work are actually happening in tandem, side by side, just like the oxen in the yoke, just like our master in us, working next to him, giving our work to him as an act of worship. So if work was created by God, we need to define work. 
God's word gives us a lot of instructions that we need to work for our livelihood and a lot of warnings against laziness. It is good to have the jobs we do and to work within our homes. God says these are good things to expend ourselves on so we can live in this world that he created. But the Bible also tells us there's a kingdom work to be done, a harvest to bring in, and that's all about his people. Being yoked to my master, working alongside him, I can stay in balance because he's been doing kingdom work a long time. He knows just how much ground to plow for today and where him and I need to plow together tomorrow. That's where I can say yes to where he's leading, even if it feels out of balance. I can trust him enough to meet a hurting friend for lunch when I have a ton of errands to run. I can trust him enough to not stress when my daughter needs help with something, but hey, I'd rather clean the house because I have company coming over and I want to impress them. I can carry a light yoke during a tough conversation with my spouse because I know God is right there with me and I can be a patient listener when I'd rather share my opinion. I can forgive my spouse or my friend when they've hurt me because I've been forgiven. In each of these very real life cases, I am living out Ephesians 2.10, that I am God's handiwork and so are you, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The amazing thing you'll discover is that when you are doing what you were created to do, expending yourself for God's kingdom, you'll be free with burnout nowhere in sight. Being a servant of God doesn't mean that we'll never rest. If you're completing God's kingdom work, he's going to give you what you need to both do the work and to rest in your heart at the same time. You might be in a very busy season of life. And you actually don't need to change a thing about your schedule. Now, maybe there's a few tweaks that God is pointing out to you. Maybe something on your list is going to require a heart shift for you, a change in motivation. Maybe you need to believe that God will give you exactly what you need to do what he's called you to do. I won't lie to you. It will sometimes feel out of balance. The great life of love poured out will cost you something. But I'm here to tell you, it gives you something in return. Jesus doesn't say, love each other if there's you know, white space in your calendar. Bear each other's burdens if everything in your own life is, is under control and you've got margin. I will say from recent personal experience that he's going to call you to do things you don't think you have margin for. He's going to prompt you to cross the room and reach out to your husband when you feel like avoiding him. He's going to ask you to... Go to someone for forgiveness when you've blown it. He'll convict you to stay up late so the sun doesn't go down on your anger with your wife. He'll encourage you to get up early so that you can be fueled up for another day of being yoked to him. He wants you to do these things, not to torture you, but to teach you to learn from him. And we see that all over scripture, tons of places where Jesus is teaching us how to serve. John 13, he washes the disciples' feet. In Mark 6, he sees the crowds and feels so much compassion for them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. In Luke 7, his heart goes out to this widow whose son had just died and his compassion for her moves him to perform a miracle. And then, of course, on the cross, John 19, here he is pouring out his life for you and for me, becoming sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. I've learned from personal experience, and I bet you have too, that Jesus doesn't hesitate to pull me out of the pit I'm in. And he does it with joy. In the harsh light of reality, I see that I don't respond with joy sometimes. 
The alarm goes off and I don't feel like getting up. The war between my flesh and the spirit has already started to wage in that moment. What am I going to do if my spouse makes a poor decision? Am I going to flip out or will I rest on God's promise to provide? When pride or laziness doesn't want me to pick up the phone and call that hurting neighbor, will I rely on Christ to give the words that need to be said? When we feel too spent to give anything else, will we turn our backs on another's need that's right in front of us? Or will we choose to believe that Christ is working right there and then? He is in the yoke next to us, so much so he will pull us through. Because when I say no, that I don't believe, that's when I actually need another lesson from my teacher. 2 Corinthians 13.4 says, Jesus was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we're weak in him, yet by God's power we will live. The power that he's offering us to work is not just power to work for ourselves. This is so critical. When it's 10 p.m. and you've been maxed out at your work and your wife is crying after spending all day with a tantruming three-year-old, only to walk down the hall where the dog puked on the carpet for the second time this week, and at that exact moment the doorbell rings and your mother-in-law walks in the door unannounced. It's in that moment that you're offered again the opportunity to answer Christ's call, to take his yoke upon you, to learn how to handle the situation like your gentle, humble teacher would do. To be the man who defers cleaning up the dog's mess, to comfort your wife, to put her in bed, to be the man who takes the time to discipline that toddler in love, to be the man who welcomes your mother-in-law in the midst of it all. I know it sounds exhausting, but you know what? It's not, and here's why. A wife that is loved and given rest is a wife who's ready for tomorrow. A toddler disciplined becomes a 10-year-old who's obedient. And a mother-in-law watching you make first things first is likely to be the helper in the midst of it all. As we wrap up this series on burnout, I want to challenge you with several things. First, be an example of living in Christ's yoke. Look around for examples of people that are doing this too. Because in the Bible, we meet Paul, right? He made it his aim to share his life with other people. And as a result, on the outside, Yeah, he faced daily fatigue and distress and persecution, affliction, hardship. It was all his. But in his heart, listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 12, 15. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. This was a man who was at rest in his heart. We also meet a disciple named Tabitha in Acts 9. She was a woman who was always doing good at helping the poor. She was actually described this way in verse 36. And in the very next verse, it says that she passed away. This one statement is like her eulogy one-liner, always doing good and helping the poor. She poured out her life serving next to Christ in his yoke. We meet a poor body of believers in 2 Corinthians 8, who Paul went and visited. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Paul tells us that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, not counting the cost. They knew the truth of this scripture from 2 Corinthians 8, 9. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. 
And then we meet Jesus investing in us, obeying the father, loving the least of these, giving his life for our sake. He knew the cost and though he suffered, he gave. His heart was at rest, knowing he was straight in the center of the father's will. We meet people all over the Bible who are often weary in his service, but not weary of it. Who do you know who is serving like this? I bet they're some of the happiest people you know. They understand the price Christ paid, and they understand the cost of following Christ. They don't become weary in doing good because they know at the proper time, they're going to receive a harvest of blessing if they don't give up. They look for opportunities to do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. That's Galatians 6, 9. So who's meeting you? Is your family seeing your joy? Because the best thing you can think to do with your time is to work with all of your heart for Christ, to love on his people, which is, of course, including them. I hope, like me, you're starting to see things differently. I'm beginning to hear the call to build God's kingdom, to be on mission with him, being a restful runner. And that's when I'm going to see changes in my marriage that wouldn't have come any other way. As we conclude here today on Vows to Keep Radio, this great exchange of our yoke for his is continual. It's not a one-time event. Remember that five-step process? First, we have to identify what we've let master us. Second, confess that sin to the Lord. Three, answer Christ's invitation to trade your yokes for his. Four, recalibrate how we've been defining rest to what Christ offers instead. And five, make the great exchange, letting Jesus be our master and our teacher. Let me say real quick that each of these episodes in this four-part series were designed to build on each other. If you've only heard one or two of them, go back and take a listen from the beginning to get a really firm foundation under you for trading burnout for true rest. If you just cherry pick out one or two key points that we've made, you're not going to get all the benefits of God's rest that he intends for you. He's lavishly offering us his best, so don't skimp on what he's teaching you. This week, get your heart prepped to the point that you can call him Savior, Master, and Teacher. Throw off those old yokes, those old masters. And when you realize you're back in the same trap, because that's going to happen, make sure you're equipped to make that great exchange again. Never forget that he wants to plow right next to you. He wants to use you in people's lives. So Will you ask him today where he wants you to expend yourself for his kingdom? Let's close together in a prayer that I hope you choose to pray daily. I'm going to put this in the show notes so that you can print it out, write it out, keep it in your Bible. My Savior, thank you for the cross. Thank you for giving me eternal rest. I lay the burdens of my sins at your feet, telling you my specific sin and asking you for forgiveness. My master, I'm going to call this day your day. Thank you for asking me to come under your yoke so I can learn to rest in my heart and my soul as I work next to you. Show me right now where you are plowing. Open my eyes to see the needs around me. And my teacher, thank you for being humble and gentle with me. Help me to learn from you today how to handle these specific situations that I'm in. Show me your way of doing things and help me to rest in your love so I can live a life of love poured out. And as I close, maybe you need to hear this today. It is okay to wear yourself out working for the Lord. If you're tired, sit down, take a nap, go to bed early. But ask yourself, what am I worn out from? Am I worn out because I've made the great exchange? If so, rest well, dear one. 
in that moment, you can be confident that you are living in his promise of rest because you've let Christ completely become your savior, master, and teacher. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.